Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm Jackson Michael. I recently got to chat with a legendary NFL referee, Jim Tunney. Part of that interview aired on the Game Before the Money radio show, which airs Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, nationwide, on the Sports Map Radio Network and the Sports Map Radio app. The following is our interview in its entirety. Jim Tunney was born in 1929. His father officiated football and basketball on the West Coast, and he's got an amazing story to share with you about that. Jim Tunney started his own officiating career while in college, working games that included future NFL legends that you'll hear about. Jim worked his first NFL game in 1960 and served for 31 years through 1990. He refereed three Super Bowls, Super Bowl VI, Super Bowl XI, and Super Bowl XII. He also worked several other famous games, the 1965 West Division playoff between the Colts and Packers, made famous by a field goal that Jim Tunney called, the 1981 NFC Championship game, known as the Catch Game, the 1979 AFC Championship game, made famous by the Mike Renfro play, and Tom Dempsey's record-setting 63-yard field goal. He's going to share stories about all of those games and more with us here. Be sure to visit his website, jimtunney.com, for information about the Jim Tunney Youth Foundation, his book, Impartial Judgment, and even a Jim Tunney bobblehead. Here's the Game Before the Money interview with the legendary Jim Tunney. You grew up in Los Angeles? Up in Los Angeles, in the uh, San Gabriel Valley, actually, just east of Los Angeles. And how did, how did you first get involved in sports? Well, my dad was an official, and I followed him around when he would go to games and officiate. I would carry his, his the gear bag, and so I'd, when I go through the ticket gateway, my dad just say, uh, that's my assistant behind me with, with my officiating uniform. So I went to games with him many times at five, six, seven years of age. Oh, what were those like UCLA games or were those? It went to the Coliseum for USC and UCLA, Stanford and Cal and places like that. Uh, many games in the Rose Bowl when uh, Jackie Robinson was playing for Pasadena Junior College, places like that, yeah. Oh, wow. So you remember Jackie Robinson in college then? I was sitting on the bench one day when Jackie was playing for Pasadena Junior College, and my dad came over half that and said, you watch this little kid here, number 28, he's going to be reading something someday. And he certainly was. <laughs> wow. Wow, that is incredible. And um, so your dad, was your dad just officiating football, or did he do other sports as well? He did football and basketball, did not do baseball. But football and, and uh he did NC2A basketball up and down the coast. And then uh, you, you went to high school. Did you start officiating right 
after high school, or when when did you get started? I started in college when I went to Oxford College. Um, about my junior year, they needed officials for the interscholastic games, intramural type of thing. And since I'd been around and fishing a long time, I felt I was ready to, to join them, and so I did. It was for free; you didn't get paid. But it was a good experience. Because the beginning, you know, you start at the bottom. That's where we start at the bottom. There's not much money there. I wasn't interested in the money, but it was a good experience. And what year was that about? Oh, you were you were born in nineteen nineteen fifty. Nineteen fifty. Okay. And then were you doing West Coast College games then for a while? And I, then when I graduated from college, I started teaching and I joined the Southern California Football Officials Association. And that's where you get paid. I worked high school and junior college games for a number of years before I got a chance to work in major college games. It takes a while to work your way up because there's so many good people working in that level that you got to work your way in. Yeah, so you worked your way in. You you eventually did probably Pacific Coast Conference games. I started with mostly junior college games, and then in the smaller college games, places like Occidental and Redlands and Whittier, places like that, and then into the major college. And I joined the Pacific Coast Conference. I was very lucky to compete early on, and I was uh, only about 23 or 4 when I started working major college games at SC, UCLA, Cal, Stanford, Oregon schools, Washington, places like that. Now, would you have done any uh, Pacific games or, or uh, San Jose State for then? Oh, yeah, sure. No, San Jose State, um, lots of other college games around the Long Beach State was getting started. A lot of state schools, uh, as well as uh, the smaller uh, Schools like, I say, uh, Redlands and Whittier and Oxy, places like that. Would you have officiated when George Allen was, was head coach at, at Whittier? Uh, I worked George Allen when he was at Whittier and he played Pomona in a championship game and they made a call for Pomona scoring a touchdown that, that George Allen didn't like. He called me the next day and, and balled me out for making a call and to, I've known George Allen from the beginning. He's a good man. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. You went so far back. And uh, I know Dick Vermeil would have been playing quarterback at San Jose State back then, and Tom Flores would have been at Pacific. Were you officiating their games, too, in the mid-'50s? I did work for Tom Flores as he came along. Followed him all the way through, through the junior college, junior college, and all through the NFL. Wow, that's incredible that you go so far back. Yeah, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> well, and accomplished. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so how did how did the NFL find you? Well, I was working with the USC and UCLA in the what they called then the Pacific Coast Conference, what they called the Pac-12, and I, I worked. I guess I worked at intersectional game of UCLA in Texas and uh, they saw me I never applied to the NFL they saw me and asked me if I'd like to join them that was the same year as the AFL started 
So the AFL called me in 1960 because they didn't have any officials. They called me and I wanted to find work in the AFL. And I said I would. And the NFL called me the very next day and said, don't sign with the AFL. We want you to work in the NFL. There was a big fight going on in 1960 between AFL and the NFL. So the uh, the battle that the NFL and AFL had, it, it even went down to the, the officiating crews, too. Yes, sir. Now, had you done any Rose Bowl games while you were in college? I didn't work the Rose Bowl in college. Uh, I only worked in college for about four years. I was very lucky to be moved from from college to the NFL and as only 30 years of age, so I didn't get a chance to work the Rose Bowl game. I did work the junior Rose Bowl game three times, So, and that was played in the Rose Bowl between junior colleges, and some great junior college players in those days played in that junior Rose Bowl game. That junior Rose Bowl, I think maybe... Hugh McElhenney might have played in that. There were, there were some NFL stars who, who played in that game. He went to Compton, Compton Junior College, and so uh, and Compton was very strong in those days. A coach named Tay Brown, and they played in that junior football game uh, at least once, I know. And then what, what do you remember about your first game in the NFL in, in 1960? My first game was in Los Angeles Coliseum between uh, Chicago Bears and George Hallis and, uh, and the Los Angeles Rams. And remember meeting Mr. Hallis. He's a, a guy who founded the NFL. Uh, he was the uh, owner of the Chicago Bears. He was kind of like meeting, meeting Tom Edison. What a, what a thrill. What a, what a great start to your NFL officiating career. Yeah. You know, I guess one of the, the first really famous games, or at least that I know of that, that you were a part of, was the uh, 1965 West Division playoff between the Colts and Packers. It was 65, yeah, it was in, in, in Green Bay, and they had a controversial call on a field goal that I called good. That Don Shula coaches all of our coach didn't like, and... Uh, but the Green Bay Packers won it, and uh, I worked a lot of controversial games. Uh, one of them, of course, was the 1967 Ice Bowl. I was there for that uh, as an ultimate referee. What do you remember about the Ice Bowl? I know it was about 30 degrees below zero, very, very cold. Uh, nobody wanted to play. The field was frozen. A controversial game, but but probably well known, probably the most well known game in the NFL was the fact that they had that very, very cold weather. I've read that the officials' whistles weren't working. Is that right? And they, they verbally called the plays down? The whistle stuck. The, the little, they call it the P. When you blow the whistle, the P bounces around and makes, makes the noise for the whistle. And, and, uh, Whistles actually stuck to the fish's lips. So they, uh, how did they, how did they, they just yelled down, or, or how did they? Well, they just used the whistle best they could. One whistle didn't work, somebody else has got one, and it did work. They, they handled it very well. 
Oh, okay. So that's how it worked out. And you called uh, you called Tom Dempsey's sixty uh, three yard field goal. I was there in nineteen seventy, November eighth. Tom Dempsey kicked it, set the record sixty three yards at the time. And uh, I known Tom for a long time. Went to a, a junior college in Southern California, and he had a foot that was deformed. And so he had a deformed shoe on the foot and. Uh, Kicked his 63 yards straight on. Not like these guys they are kicking with a soccer kick, but this was a straight-on kick by by Dempsey. When he lined up, did you think he had a chance to make it, or did it surprise you? Or They were kicking from their own 37-yard line where he lined up and some 63 yards, and Alex Harris of the Detroit Lions said, what are they going to do? I said, they're going to kick a field goal. Did you, did you tell them they're on their own 37-yard line? I said, that don't make, make those decisions, Alex. Let's get out of the play. So he kicked it, went right through. It won the game once the clock went to 0-0. Zero, zero. It was all over. It was cold that day. It was a November day in New Orleans, actually Tulane, at Tulane Stadium. The Superdome was not built yet. They played it in Tulane Stadium. Wow, that's that's a great story there about about Karras and 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 yeah, about the Saints playing at Tulane. Now you you mentioned the clock, and I was curious about the play clock in between plays. When when did that rule come into effect, and how did that affect your job and and the quarterbacks? When we first started in 1960, the field judge down the field, I was a field judge my first five or six years, and we kept the time, the 25-second clock. They didn't have a play clock, and we would blow the whistle when the 25 seconds was up. Oh, so that rule was always in effect. It was just you, you were keeping the time on the field? On the field, yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. Was it hard for the quarterbacks to keep track of that? No, they, they were pretty good about it. They didn't take that long in those days to, to huddle up and, and call a play. And the quarterbacks, you know, United and Starr and John Brody and people like that, they're pretty sharp. Your first, uh, your first Super Bowl was Super Bowl Six. How, how did you find you, you got assigned it? Art McNally called me. On Tuesday, before the game, and he said, "You got it." I said, "I got what?" <laughs> he said, "You got the Super Bowl. You're the referee in Super Bowl six. We're going to play in uh, in New Orleans." I was honored and shocked that you get the assignment. For officials, that's the greatest thing you could have: being assigned a Super Bowl game. We were very much honored. I was honored. I was only 42. I was the youngest official to referee a Super Bowl game. And there was a there was a pretty famous play in that Super Bowl game with Bob Lilly sacking uh, Bob Greasy. I think it's still a record for 29 yards on a sack. <laughs> you're you're right on target. That's very good. Good on your part. That's right. Bob Greasy holds the record for the longest sack in a Super Bowl game. So Coach Shuley's 
kidding about that being sacked. That's far from Bob Lilly changed into Lane Stadium, and it was. Uh, and um, you were the referee at the at the uh, catch game too. Worked for Joe and many times. We became good friends off the field. I had, had a foundation called the Jim Tenney Youth Foundation. We'd raise money for kids. And I asked Joe to come down and be the speaker one night, and he did for no charge. He didn't cost me anything. We raised a lot of money for youth. And uh, what do you remember about the catch play? Well, I remember that uh, Joe didn't know the calls, and he went over to talk to Coach Walsh, and, and I didn't know what they were doing, except I found out later Joe was supposed to throw the ball to Freddie Solomon, who was a great receiver. And uh, he said, if Solomon is open, throw it away. When the play happened, and Solomon was covered pretty good, Montana had to throw it as a play. He threw it over very high in the end zone, and Dwight Clark jumped up, caught it. I never saw the catch because I followed Montana. He got knocked to the ground by Ed Tuchel Jones. I followed him all the way to the ground until I saw the play was over. I saw that Dwight Clark had caught the pass. What was the reaction of uh, Montana when, when he got up? Well, when he was on the ground, he didn't see the catch either. And Tuchel Jones was laying on top of him. And when he looked up, he said, what happened? I said, you threw it in the stands. He said, what? I said, no. I said, Dwight Clark caught You got a touchdown. And that won the game for him. And they went, they went to the, the first Super Bowl for the 49ers with that catch. Yeah, that was their first Super Bowl. Yeah, Super Bowl 16. Right. You know, one other uh, one other game I remember you officiating was the 1979 AFC Championship game, and there was uh, there was a play at the uh, I think it was the end of the third quarter with Mike Renfro. Yeah, well, the Mike Renfro did he catch it in bounds or was he was he out of bounds? After the play was over, I went down to find out. And the field judge, the back judge, said no. He didn't have complete control of it, but he was in bounds. And there was a lot of controversy whether he did catch it. We didn't have instant replay in those days. So it was all up to the judgment of the official, and there was no replay to look at. Yeah, so, and, you know, I've watched the video within the past few years. You guys spent a lot of time talking uh, before you made the call. What were you fully discussing there? Well, we were going to see whether they had both feet in and had complete control of the ball. Now, I talked to my grandfather about that since, and he said he thought he did. We didn't think he did. The officials down there, two of them right on it, said no, he didn't. So without the replay, you had to go with what the officials said. The replay is not always going to give you the, the right answer. Replay is a nice backup system, but it'll never be good enough to use officiating a game. You prefer not having the replay then? I think replay is a good thing. If you use it in the right direction, sometimes it's overly used. When it's overly used like that, you can get distorted answers. See, the replay only has two dimensions, height and width. The official has this third dimension called depth perception. 
and the depth perception sometimes is different than what the reflex can show you. Oh, wow, that's very insightful. Yeah, I never thought about that before, that way. Yeah. What was it like for, for you as, as a referee once replay came in? Do you remember your first uh, kind of encounter with, with instant replay or your first experience with it? The law officials didn't like it for their judgment was being questioned. And I said, that's what you do. You're out here in the field. Your judgment is going to get questioned. And if we get the play right, that's what we're all about. We want to get the play correct. We don't want to have a team or a player offended or disregarded because of what happened on the field. We want to get the play right. That was my purpose in, in improving the replay. And, um, you know, another game I, w- I wanted to ask you about, it was the first week of, uh, I think, the 1980 season at Lambeau Field. And the Bears and Packers went into overtime. And I saw you were the referee for that when the Bears blocked a kick and Chester Markle ran it in for a touchdown. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you block kick, the officials are scrambling to be sure that the play is covered completely. Sometimes with a scrambling like that, you don't see some of the things that happen on the field. As you're moving, it's fast as the players are moving. Yeah, that play happened really, really quickly. The crew must have been surprised the way it, everything happened. And it happened fast. You get 22 guys running on the field and seven officials running on the field. It's, it's a scramble, and you better pay attention because something's going to happen. And you better be right about what happens. That's right, yeah, because, yeah, you guys were, were always under the microscope. How, how much pressure did you feel while, while you were doing that? You don't feel any pressure. You just look at the game. Do what you're supposed to do. Prepare yourself for the game when something like that happens. Adjust your positioning and do the best you can with it. Make the call if it's there. If it's not there, just be sure everybody's okay. And did you did you work Thanksgiving games too? Mm, probably six or seven times. Yeah, in Detroit, in Detroit, Tiger Stadium, I first worked there. But Buddy Field, what way? My last year, I worked a Thanksgiving day game in in Detroit in, in the Superdome before they built the new one. So had a lot of Christmas Day, probably four or five on Christmas Day over the years. That's a lot of fun leaving your family Christmas Eve and flying on an airplane Christmas Eve to a game someplace and working the game on Christmas Day and then getting home uh, either that night or the next day. That's one of the things I think a lot of people don't think about is, you know, how much you sacrifice and the players, too, with with their families missing out on, on those holidays. It has to happen. You gotta be there. Yeah, they can't play the game without without the, the official. So you gotta be there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's certainly true. You've been out of the league for a while. Um, do you stay in touch? I watch a lot of football, a lot of games on uh, Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday all day long. You just see how the officials are doing. And uh, glad to see that 
there's so many of them that are doing a great job. I'm honored to be part of the of the NFL history. Thank you for listening to the Game Before the Money podcast. Special thanks to Jim Tunney for the interview. Don't forget to visit his website, jimtunney.com. Also visit thegamebeforethemoney.com for more great football history stories told by the legends of the game. Transcripts of some podcast episodes are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com and are powered by our transcription partner, Sonics. That's S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonics.ai to learn more about their transcription services. Don't forget to like the Game Before the Money Facebook page and check out the Game Before the Money's YouTube channel. The Game Before the Money Oral History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit. You can donate at thegamebeforethemoney.com. 